So welcome to the next Foss North podcast. Uh, today we have Pavel from Synergon here. Uh, so Pavel, please tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Pavel Kapilov and I work for a company called Synergon. Uh, I'm a lawyer by background. I worked as an in-house lawyer for some years and uh, then I got a master's degree in industrial engineering from Sharmash, which is a bit surprisingly uh, for, for a lawyer. Uh, then I work with the education uh, for with entrepreneurship education here uh, in Sharmash. And I'm currently working as intellectual property advisor. And what I work most with is intellectual property strategy. And like this topic is very broad, but traditionally, so we have lots of projects, uh, smaller ones like startups, uh, university projects, even with like one, two developers, and we have big organizations. And uh, mainly in those projects uh, or companies, uh, they have created some innovation, broadly speaking, yes. And they need to make sure that they have a good control position over this innovation. So meaning that, uh, that the competitors will not be able like to copy this innovation and get the same, uh, same results. So what we normally do is looking into project uh, from very broad perspective but saying, yes, so we have, say you have a digitalized tool for decision-making support for, for surgeons during the operations. So we go in and see, yes, yes, well, you have this, some specific algorithms there. You have a database, uh, you have certain contractual relationship or access to certain data or access to certain uh, technology through license agreement. So we, and you have like scientific methods and all of those assets as you can call them. So like things that are valuable and that are important for the project. So all those assets can be protected by some form of intellectual property. So, and, and there are like many. So uh, you talked previously very much on copyright on this podcast, for example, patents, there are trademarks also as a way of protection. There are database protection, trade secrets. So, like you as an entrepreneur and as a project owner, you need to choose like what type of protection to choose and what type of protection to prioritize and which assets are more valuable, which assets are less valuable. Because uh, like maybe it's not like in it's not so much incorporated by the patent, which is considered like to be the strongest protection, but it's very costly. So the problem there is like to find funding uh, for, for this, uh, for the patent. Um, but yeah, and, and again, so it builds very much on, on what you're gonna do next with the project. So are you like about to go and talk to the investors? Then you might want to show that I have a patent application, for example, or I have this inventory of assets and I know that it could be protected by copyright and I file for trademark or whether you go on the market, you will release this. And then you, you maybe you're releasing some, some part as an open source uh, and some part of free uh, premium features or like some part of service will be not open source. 
So yeah, so like it's like basically again, it's very broad, but uh, it's what what I do. So trying to balance those different types of IP and uh, uh, find a good solution for a specific business. Yeah, like I, the word balance is really good, <laughs> I'd say, because it's to to me uh, the it's always a trade off of what to protect. Because if you choose to protect everything, you have to protect, you have to develop everything. Um, but if you can collaborate around all, the, let's say the non-differentiating parts, uh, and then probably slightly beyond that, you can sort of reduce your maintenance overhead or your investment in technology while still protecting what is important. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. Especially with the patent. So you have like developed some scientific methods, which is in, in the background of the innovation. So uh, the patent is that it's costly. It also it becomes public. Uh, so everyone knows your competitor know that you are investing in this type of technology field. Uh, so you really need to uh, like, okay, this part of the methods will be published and I want to get a patent on this. This part of the method will stay uh, secret because I don't, uh, I don't want anyone like to invent around uh, this part, which is published and have you, again have you yeah. worked with uh, with defensive publishing as well to sort of counter others potential patents because i guess this is a balancing act if you have multiple com competitors so, so if you yeah, cannot sure. afford a patent yourself maybe you can at least document that this invention exists at this point in time so that nobody else can patent it either but uh, there could be different strategies. I mean, if if you have the knowledge technology, which is very important for you, and maybe this uh, it adds on functionality to your product, uh, and this functionality is superior uh, compared to uh, to other um, competitors, you may want to like have a stronger control on this. So you can yeah you can publish this. And, uh, and and then uh, like everyone will know and uh, you will destroy the novelty for others or you can keep it secret. So it will be yeah, like yeah, some it's, secret. It's a, it's a balance uh, act, definitely. So it's like a secret ingredient that you have uh, that adds on this functionality. And and uh, secrecy actually is one of the like the main uh forms of like keeping knowledge uh, control of the knowledge because it stays within the company uh the more complex is to manage secrecy when you like three people working on the same project it kind of it goes well but when you the organization is going growing bigger it becomes even more difficult and with secrecy it's not uh seldom that the situation happened when someone who was in the beginning of the project, like some key developer, starts working for a competitor. And you, you naturally want to like to know that you have a good contract with this uh, code developer from the beginning and you have outlined what is the trade secret and what should not be disclosed to other other parties. Uh, so, like secrecy is a good way for protecting, but like it's challenging in terms of like, how you keep it a uh, secret. I'm curious here, uh, if, if you look back and, and 
to now. Uh, have you seen a shift like in strategy when it comes to the companies uh, with their views on, say, copyright, patents, uh, and open source? Mm -hmm. uh, like naturally, so the, the project that uh, I work most, and uh, these are within the medicine and e-health mostly, so and they have very uh, strong um, research uh, background so the patent is absolutely like kind of the holy grail and uh, but on the other hand there is also tendency if it's academic environment there is also tendency to publish so it's always like play whether we want to publish something before we file the patent application and uh, a set patent is costly and you have to kind of pay for the patent from your own pocket so you, you can get uh, funding from the government for example to, to apply for a patent it's also difficult to get funding from the investor to to apply for the patent uh, so it's very huge upfront payment that you have to to do uh, and when it comes like to, to publishing something, yeah, so as Jon mentioned, so it could be destroying the novelty for someone else uh, who wants to patent in, in, in this area. So it's, it could be a strategy, but you need to make sure that like if you, if you have a method which is built on the software and you want to release the software and publish it, so you may use it, uh, release it as an open source. On the other hand, you want to, to make sure that uh, you keep, uh, uh, again, that you have a right license and people who are using this software know that it comes from you, for example. So, and it's where you think about, okay, I also need a trademark. So the trademark is kind of like the whole uh, umbrella of technologies and people within uh, your project that could be protected. Uh, so it like, and again, it's for, for the whole concept and copyright here is like copyright is only uh, patent protects the technology copyright protects, uh, only like, like the, the things that are written in code only how they stated. So if you inspire, if you will get inspired by this idea, if you replace the components, so you may not be infringing on copyright. Uh, and so, yeah. It's interesting with trademarks because that's something um, I spoke, well, prior to Corona, so one and a half years ago, I spoke in Stockholm about this topic and looked into what's done there and I, I for instance Arduino and I think LibreOffice uh, and also Mozilla uses this I mean that, that's why we had ice weasel for so long in uh, in Debian because Debian had a slightly different build configuration so they were not allowed to call it Firefox um, mm -hmm. I also think there's there was a case I can look it up and add a link there, there was a case of someone selling LibreOffice in the Windows App Store uh, which they only could stop basically by, by having the trademark because that was the infringement. Since the product itself is open source, you, you can never prevent them from sort of rebuilding and then charging for it. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. And with those, those type of licenses, people can use your software, uh, but if they try to use your trademarks, uh, so they could be infringing. 
or if the and so also trademarks it often goes with the domain names so <laughs> just the tips when you whenever you apply for the trademark it first uh, registered the domains uh, so yeah, yeah it's uh, a side note so uh, so they, they they could be infringing on the tra trademark if they sell uh, the product because they say that this product comes from you a few years ago, I spoke to a guy at Fostem from the Open Office uh, project. I mean, it's under the Apache Foundation nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I asked him a bit about the relationship between Open Office and LibreOffice, and he he he, he wasn't very uh, positive about LibreOffice. He basically said that uh, they talk to us every now and then because they want the name, uh, and because mm -hmm. of the licensing differences. Uh, they can pull patches from OpenOffice to LibreOffice, but not the other way around. So he wasn't super happy about that. And that was also, I think, only a, a trademarking thing, that they wanted the name, but uh, because the code they could already get due to the permissive licensing. Yeah. You're currently muted, Henrik, mm -hmm. by the way. <laughs> it happens again. So, mm -hmm. this, so perhaps projects should wisely consider the uh, implications of the license they're choosing. I've been on this before, sorry. Mm -hmm. And also with the trademark, it builds on uh, value throughout the years. So even if you release uh, this uh, project and then you don't touch it for like 10 years and and people start like uh, using the, the software in, in their products, and uh, you know it comes like from from these specific projects. You still have the trademark, and you can claim that. See, like my project is used in so many other projects, and, and uh, this is developing the concept of my trademark uh, here. Uh, how, how does trademarks work from a practical perspective? Uh, do you register per market, so so you get like a EU trademark and a US trademark, or and and all? Is it a continuous cost over those 10 years or do you just get it once and then you have it forever? Mm -hmm. Trademarks, like patents are limited to 20 years. Uh, copyright is also limited like to 70 years and after the death of the author, but uh, trademarks are forever in principle. Uh, you only have to pay renewal fees. Like uh, it depends, like in Europe, it's uh, 10 years period. And uh, these are not the big uh, money. And when it comes to Europe, yes, there is a unified system for trademark protection, so you can get protection in in the entire Europe. There's a price of one trademark. Uh, then there are some differences, like in USA, Canada, they have like local uh, systems in Latin America, Australia. So there are different uh, regional legislations, but in Europe. Uh, you can apply for like European trademark, and there are some countries. I, I think Norway is not is not within this uh, the scope. So, if you want to trademark in Norway, so you can, you need to apply separately there and uh, Switzerland, I guess, also. What about the UK about... nowadays? Uh, don't know exactly right now, and I I know the the trademark application filed b before Brexit, so they still uh, still remain uh, in force in the UK. But yeah, again, uh, you can also like with trademarks, you can go and apply in each specific country, like in only in Sweden, on Hungary, or uh, whatever country. 
but it, it will be uh, more costly uh, and the patent offices uh, trademark offices uh, national trademark offices they are more like peculiar about the applications that you submit and uh, the like the marks you want to protect because and, and by the way like the trademark is something that needs to be have uh, this need to be distinctive so if you have an office application so you can name it uh, like word processor for for office so it will be distinctive it needs to be something that helps a customer to distinguish this product from from other office uh, processors yeah, isn't this what is being challenged around google that the people claim that their trademark has turned into a generic verb so it should uh, exactly. no, no longer be possible to hold that as a trademark and then yeah exactly exactly because hmm? yeah it, it's correct so when you have an exclusive right in uh, for for the trademark for the symbol you have the exclusive right to like you you uh, may disallow others use this name or uh, use this uh, this mark so you basically when you have uh, the trademark which is generic uh, like tables computers so you don't allow others to use those terms in like normal life so and uh, what, what, what's happening with Google so yes the term became too generic so you can't uh, like disallow someone to say I would Google uh, this <laughs> That's interesting. So the, I mean, would that then, so that becomes a problem when you want to renew your trademark, I guess. It's nothing that changes during the 10 year period, uh, but then it can sort of be challenged. And Google being a well, US well, company, I guess it goes to court and there's a, there's a dispute somewhere. I, I guess it may be difficulties in if someone uses this term uh, on their web page and some competitor using this ter term, you you can't really enforce it like and say that they use my trademark because kind of everyone is using this, this trademark because it's too too generic. Yeah, but it's only the word, not the logo and the coloring and sort of the, all the uh, other things around the brand. Well, I, I I'm not sure about the coloring because this like the palette they use the colors they use on, on the Google logo type is also somehow I think they will be they were consistent with using those colors. So I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, the trademark you can uh, protect your like words, uh, phrases, or you can protect the images, pictures, and sometimes like people want to protect, uh, like they have an invention and uh, it's like some I don't know innovative stand for 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 the computer. And they call it innovative stand, but they put this in a special logo on this, and they apply for logotype protection. Uh, but then you have problems like when you want to change the logotype, so you basically have to change the, to apply for a new trademark protection, because like this protection only covers the, the image, but not not the name itself. Do, do you see? I mean, we, we spoke about Mozilla with Firefox and those things where you sort of restrict other people from distributing things under your name. Are there people using trademarks in the other direction so, so that they enforce attribution to their trademark? So everyone has to say that this is from blah, 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 and then they are the only ones who are allowed to use 
blah 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 in in a certain context so to speak not to prevent the distribution of the software but to get their brand out so to speak i mean even in kind of in attribution clause oh. exactly because like in, in Mozilla license, it says that you, you're not allowed to use the trademarks as long as, uh, as you don't use this as a attribution. Yeah, exactly. So, so kind there of, is the other direction, so to speak. Yeah. So, and, and with these terms, you, you kind of expand the value. So people need to relate to you and uh, mention you, you, your brand and uh, some, which makes you like brand uh, look better. From, from. Yeah. Uh, are you are you aware of anyone doing that? Or not something I can give you a right example to now. No. I... But isn't uh, isn't some open source licenses almost doing similar thing that you're allowed to sell this and uh, copy it and so on as long as you uh, keep the copyright notice and you say that this is still this software and so on. I mean, of course, if you make it. If you make derivatives, then maybe that's that goes out the door. But but otherwise, you I mean, uh, for example, everywhere it says that this is this is this software uses curl, and why does it say that? Because you have to say it. Yeah. Okay. And then so, the I mean, only step left is then to trademark mm -hmm. curl, uh, if you really want to lock it down, so to speak. Yeah, there are like other ways like of this. downloading software on the internet, of course, but uh... mm -hmm. <laughs> there's one true and right way, and other ways. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 like you with the trademark. So you're stating the facts, and you just like you can use the trademarks in use, for example, when you report on the facts uh, relating to the specific product or company. So yes, but but you, having this attribution, so you kind of expand the value and you additionally with the licenses when you disallow using the trademark you create additional limits on uh, on people but still there still even though they uh, it doesn't say in the license you're not allowed to use the trademark they still may be doing infringement if, if they if they use so so just additional clause to for people like to signal that it's our brand and we are serious about the brand and it's an additional aspect sort of it, it's a bit like software patents that it, it's you don't see it up front you need to be aware that the risk exists in that case yeah yeah exactly and and and, and that's what why we talk about the strategy is create different levels so you have a copyright protection and you distribute on the copyright uh, license terms but still uh, the trademark is is yours and you want to keep it because like the main value of your business is the trademark uh, yeah keep them. You, you mentioned you sent a whole list before the uh, this session with different things there. I, I think there are two things that we haven't touched upon. One is design. Uh, is, mm -hmm. is that sort of trademark protection over design? Um, so the, the design protection is protection of how the product uh, looks like. It's mainly for like physical products, uh, but there were cases, uh, especially with this. Um, like, like, like this kind of interface uh, yeah. for several years ago also was protected by design and it was a battle between Samsung and Apple uh, regarding this. So it could be applicable if you have, I don't know, if you have some specific user, graphic user interface in your product, which is very different from, from uh, what others uh, have. So it could be... Um, 
So it needs to be very distinct yeah. in sort of how it how it looks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and like in, when it comes to software products, it's kind of difficult to like claim it's distinctive when you have this button here. Or... Yeah, exactly. And there's yeah, there are so many variations. Mm. The, the last term that you mentioned here that I don't know is database protection or data boss squint. I guess I translate it directly yeah, so and it makes it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so database, uh, they're very interesting in terms of intellectual property, how you protect. And in Europe, there is something called catalog here that uh, when you protect the uh, catalogs and mainly in stems like from yellow pages and uh, like the list uh, of the names there. So what's protected, it's not the individual entries in the database, uh, but the, the way you put it together, the, the, the way it's arranged. So it's for Europe. In, in other countries, database also can be protected. Again, the arrangement of information can be protected through copyright. If the information is arranged in a specific, uh, like creative manner. So to this end, like uh, for the project that we work with, for example, annotated data uh, is quite uh, so can can uh, qualify for, the, for this type of protection. For, so even though you can protect like the exact uh, data points, but you create like the, the whole database. But then, then what does it uh, protect against? Is it like in case somebody uh, tries to reverse engineer the, the the database, or I mean, it mm -hmm. it protects against uh, copying of the substantial part of the or the entire database. Mm -hmm. So if you if if you give like if you have a if you're developing some AI tool and you have a partner who is doing the annotation work for you. Uh, and uh, they, they annotate the text and give you back the results. And then your they are also helping your competitor to do the same thing. And when they uh, use this database for, from, comes, that comes from you uh, in their work, so they may be infringing on, on uh, this type of protection. I see. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting from, from like, we, we spoke about protecting your secret source in, in a partially open system. And I mean, it, this then turns into the open data perspective on things uh, as opposed to open code. Uh, or for instance, the city of Gothenburg has kind of an interesting approach where they provide open data, but I don't think they do that much software historically. Um, uh, so that's sort of their strategy to open up the data to enable the innovation, while in other cases you might want to open up the algorithms but keep the data. Um, I guess that's exactly. sort of a fun balancing game for the business model, so to speak. Yeah, really, and, and you can only when you, if you do like, uh, like internally, if you have this thinking process and see what like kind of assets, valuable assets they are. So you have a software which is, uh, which is open source, but you have access to specific data uh, maybe this data comes from open, uh, open, uh, open data projects, but still for someone, for your competitors, they may get the same result if they just take the software as open source and, and use the data sources. But so you must keep this secret information where the data comes from, for example, like the, the mere fact that we are using these, these, these databases. Uh, 
so and it could be something that you will make keep secret yeah and open and, and data in europe is very interesting to me because it seems like the eu on to some extent has sort of made a, a stance to actually push for open data in, in many perspectives yeah it's it seems like there is some trend towards this and but i've I listened to some other conference about open data and uh, it was within automotive and you know self-driving cars and uh, like uh, all those databases related to roads and road signs there is kind of uh, there is an intention everyone thinks that it would be good to share this data to like with everyone so so we can build safer cars better roads and better uh but on the other hand uh there is reluctance and people don't really know how to share the data and what the impact would be if, if the data is shared uh, publicly. So, yeah, just, just data formats and, and those parts are, of course. Yeah, cheaper. exactly. Maybe everybody thinks that their data set is the best one. And if they share it, they lose their competitive edge momentarily uh, before, before being able to build something better with the collective data. Exactly. That sounds exactly. like a car company to me. So mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I will not comment. <laughs> uh, but it, yes, I'm, I'm curious here if if we go back a bit to to the introduction of yourself. You mentioned that you have an engineering. I can't remember what kind of engineering degree you have. Yeah, it's industrial engineering, and uh, it's mainly entrepreneurship. Uh, so you have an engineering and you have a, like a law background. So how useful is that combination for you when like in practice when you work? Well, I'm, I'm curious person, uh, I would say. So it, it works good for me, like when it comes to legal education and like legal profession, you tend to see risks everywhere. Like it's risks, risks everywhere, like red flags. <laughs> Having this industrial engineering uh, background, you kind of you uh, you can see the risks, but you still understand that there could be possibilities or ways around those risks. So you're not getting that like I don't know afraid of of doing mistakes of risks. So for me, it works as a good combination, uh, and especially working with the with the IP, which is very much intellectually kind of stimulating uh, so it's yeah it's a great combination from my it's funny you mentioned risk it's it's usual when i uh, in my working place and i've had several discussions with the lawyers i'm currently working with that i prefer to avoid the word risk because it's like especially in in, in combination with free and open source software because I, for me it it puts the focus on something else rather than the like obvious like benefits from it so do you have any mm -hmm. like you did I, I know uh, a good friend of mine is she's a lawyer and uh, she's responsible so i understand and i appreciate that the risk assessment is important for you so what are your views on the the wording risk versus benefits well, you always need to, to make, when you, you just decide which risk is relevant or not, you need to, need to make informed decisions. 
when it comes like to to the open source software you need to maybe to be able to like kind of manage those uh, known unknowns so the risk if someone uh if i have a gpl license in the code and someone will uh, contact me and ask me whether why do i have this uh, proprietary license on on the component that should be gpl uh, based so for me it's kind of you need to be aware and and know the risks and mm, yes basically this and and you have either to accept or like to live with it and see what happens and and then if that what happens because like we discussed it much with the patents and uh, especially so the risks of uh, me uh, of someone infringing on my patents for example so you can have a patent and if someone infringes, you have the, the right to, to claim damages and and uh, let those people stop their production or whatever. Uh, but in terms of economic perspective, uh, it's rather, again, it's, it's a costly process to, to prove this. So if you're a small company, uh, you might be lacking uh, like financial support for enforcing your intellectual property. And probably you heard lately it was bank ID, uh, like the patents related to bank ID. So like a consulting company helping uh, big uh, banks to, to build their like, internal systems. And, and then, uh, and they also, the consultant had the patent and trademark, uh, trade secret protection, uh, but still the banks were stronger in terms of like how much they are able to pay to the lawyers. Um, so even even though you might be right or like presumably right, you need to have the muscles to to be able to enforce this. And like for, for smaller project, it's it's difficult, I think. It's but like the reversal of a patent troll, basically. No, what, what do you mean? Like then? like if if you're if you're subjected to a patent troll, then the costly part is proving that you are not infringing. And what you're describing is that if someone infringe actually infringes on your stuff, then the costly part is to to prove that they are, or just to to go to court at all. Yeah, it, it's basically like the court who has to decide. So not you, not the other infringing party can can determine whether it's infringement or not maybe it's somewhere close it's only the court who determines and who wins in the court it's another like aspect to this and uh, like like is it someone who can like get a better lawyer or uh, yeah like so there, i think it pans out over different countries as well so, so i guess in sweden you always pay the the other party's fees if you lose but while i think in germany there's a cap to it so, so you don't, I mean, if your counterparty, the bank choose to hire more expensive lawyers, it's sort of on their bill as soon as they hit this sort of, a, what do you say, template cost, so to speak. Uh, yeah, exactly. I guess in the US, the sky's the limit as well. So, and, and sometimes you don't really get to pick where you are sued. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and at the same time, when you have to pay the legal costs, you you have your production, you have to employ new people to build the product, and it comes at the same time. So yeah, difficult to to like maintain this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that leads to the like, old old debate about uh, patents uh, in software. Who who does it protect? For me. Uh, 
uh, it's hard to see how it protects the uh, smaller innovators, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, which patents are supposed to, like it, it was invented to protect the little guy or own. Uh, yeah, and but like um, I also helped some some private uh, inventors, like the guys who do things in their garage, kind of, and and they really made good things and things having potential. And they say, yeah, this this is the paper, like it's the most expensive paper in my life, uh, like the patent certificate, and and still they had problems, like because. The patent doesn't give you like sales directly. It's only the certificate. So, and when you start talking to the customers, potential partners, you you, you show them uh, the invention. And it happened to some people when they demonstrate the invention, and then uh, unexpectedly, uh, the, like the bigger partner got inspired of this invention, and then created something new. But it's maybe it could be infringing. Uh, but yeah, if you uh, if you're faced with like multinational corporation, um, yeah, you are not in good uh, in good negotiation position to discuss this. And I mean, even the the big ones have their patent pools and things like this to to provide the non-differentiating part. I'd like to mention this open innovation network as as one thing if you're at least if you're building something around Linux based system. Um, mm -hmm. They they sort of make Linux non-differentiating and, and gather patents, and they have all the big ones in there. So it basically makes that into a sort of no man's land. So so there there is no fighting over that. Instead, you build something around it, and there you can do what you like, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So you're building the infrastructure for sharing the patented knowledge. Uh, on a kind of like open source the same so if you accept the, the rules of the game so you're allowed to use this uh, technology uh, how did you get like engaged involved in like the open source free software part of of, of the legal business well we were doing a project for for a bigger client who who had some compliance issues and issues with using uh, this software composition analysis tools uh, for for the software they are using, and it was like for me it was a good. I didn't expect there is such a welcoming community and supporting community. It was like my first first impression, <laughs> like wow, people support each other, people want to talk to each other, and uh, they they're not like taking like paid because. Uh, yeah, it's only my opinion, but it's a bit different, like in patent and legal uh, domains, uh, when people get paid by hour and uh, each like hour cost may cost something. So here it's uh, like open source is very different in this uh, respect. It's like only my like view on this. But I. I... So, when it comes to open source and, and open data, it's and also defensive patent publications. It, it feels like it's a yin and yang thing in, in all of this. And, and your job is sort of to, to balance the two. So, so, so what part of the software needs to be protected? What is best open? What part of the data or the, the sort of knowledge assets? And, and also what 
when it comes to patents, do we do the patent thing, which is expensive, or do we simply do the, the publication thing, which doesn't cost anything, but it also blocks the patenting for all parties, including yourself, of course. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the basic is to, to always do the homework of understanding which assets and like critical pieces of knowledge that there are in the project and then which uh, pieces are more critical. So what, what, like in terms of like my competitive advantage, so what is this that brings this superiority to my product compared to, to, to the client? So maybe some specific functionality or the algorithms that I use or access to data. So you normally uh, will like, have stronger protection on the assets that are more critical than than others and some assets like with the open source with the software you can use as kind of somewhat branding uh, uh perspective but also from like development perspectives as well because like when other people contribute to your software and it becomes better why not uh, let them do it on the specific terms and uh, keeping you right to the trademarks and uh, this. Yeah, and I mean, it, another thing that I come to think of that's close by is this uh, KDQ, Free QT Foundation, I think it's called, uh, which is sort of almost a, a defensive uh, uh, contract around a dual licensed platform. So, I mean, QT is a bit mm -hmm. special that it's open source, but there there is a copyright holder uh, in the QT company that also has the right to sell it uh, commercially. And, and they have this contract that if they stop contributing to the open source or if they go bankrupt, uh, the open source parts go from a strong copyleft, so GPLv3, to basically BSD, I think. So it's a very permissive license automatically. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, that, that could be of interest for the open source community, of course, in, in, in collaborating with a commercial entity, but also as a customer, since Qt is a framework that you build your product on, mm -hmm. that sort of decouples you through this open sourcing from them as an entity. So even if they go bankrupt, you know that your investment is still with you. Mm -hmm. it's... Interesting. What do you think? Because you asked several uh, times about open data, you mentioned open data. And from my perspective, when I see that, like open source uh, for the software is kind of established field and there are like established set of standard licenses. There are uh, standard uh, compliance processes. Uh, you maybe have to about open chain. Uh, yeah. yeah, this kind of, so there are like standards and uh, which are accepted when it comes to open data it seems like in comparison to the open source it's in infancy stage because like there are not many licenses that could be used for the data like people use creative commons sometimes so i think ibm has some several certain license but it's still it it feels like it's not developed yet or what's your thoughts on this I think so too. I, I mean, it's we, we, we've spoken to uh, to the city of Gothenburg uh, outside of this podcast, but but still, and then there seems to be standardization efforts going on for sort of public open data. Uh, it's definitely time for a, a public money, public data campaign <laughs> to pair with the public <laughs> money, public code one. 
but there seems to be standardization going on there in how sort of a city or a region exposes their data and, and how to encode it. But as you say, it's I, I don't know personally of like the, the four freedoms or the, the, the open data definition as we have on the on the open source side. So it's, but it's an interesting area. I think it's from a democracy perspective, I think that's I personally think that's even more important than the the open code to some extent that that you have yeah, transparency true. and insight into the into the information so that you can form an opinion. Yeah, true. And like when it comes to commercial data as well, because like again, you can protect the facts, but you can protect like the way you organize the facts. And I've seen there were some like some court cases when when uh, just using of annotated data was uh, kind of breach of uh, copyrights for, for 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 the databases. So because like yeah, it's a new gold uh, data, but there is still not system for managing how how you enforce those rights. Yeah, and I mean it's. Isn't it when you use Google Earth that you always see the data sources in in uh, in like the lower right corner and thing? I mean, it it looks like a a very complex field in general because there are so many various sources that you can mix and merge under different different licenses. Basically, if it's only attribution or if it affects the whole data set. From from a software yeah, exactly. perspective, what is data? What is compilation or sort of how how do you derive something out of data? What's a derived work, so to speak? And then how would you address that? It's... If I had more free time, yeah. that would have been a fun thing to do. Something about... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think it's a huge field, definitely. And it seems, from, from what I gather at least, it's being standardized on an EU level, uh, at least from the public sector. And then I guess the mm -hmm. private sector has hasn't really gotten into this sharing data on on that scale, or, or they don't have that clear driver at the moment. But as you mentioned, data sets for self-driving cars and so on. There are lots of data that might make sense to share, but I think it, what I've seen at least seems to be mm -hmm. more public sector. Mm. Yeah, but perhaps people don't know what um uh, conditions to share the the data on and we don't have like standards and okay how we share what happens if this data leads to the products which are like not good for the society <laughs> and who takes responsibility for for those projects yeah it's definitely interesting i mean that, that's one of the what i find really interesting with the open source definition is that you don't discriminate for the purpose uh, so you make no ethical sort of uh, you, you don't try to guide ethically you can build weapons or you can build hospital equipment it, it doesn't matter if you block either it's no longer open source uh -huh. by definition um, yeah exactly so yeah. You, yeah. I, i'm not sure which one was it there was a license said that you couldn't use it for evil yeah, it's the JS mm. uh, JS Lint, I think. 
Yeah, and there was a story. Or J J something. Wasn't there a company getting it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. No. Yeah, IBM got a license that they could yeah. use it for evil. So, so they are. Allowed wasn't it or Jason? But it, never mind. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah. somebody had sort of got the exception so they can actually use it for evil if they want to. And I, there, I guess yeah. it's to fulfill the, the open source <laughs> definition. When you're you're doing compliance, you sometimes stumble upon really crazy phrases in the source code. Perhaps we should do an episode <laughs> just about what, what I've gathered <laughs> over the years. Uh, comments about specific persons not be, uh, being allowed to use this and that. And I, I think it's time to round this off because we're running out of time. Uh, I just want to state that we, we mentioned uh, the KDE and QT thing before. Cornelius mm. Schumacher gave a good speech about this at FOSTEM. I will provide a link so the listeners, uh, viewers can can watch that or listen to it afterwards as well. So a big thanks to you, Pavel, for being here. Thank you. It, it's a pleasure. <laughs>